the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Both the lost and the saved suffer alike. And the reason we all suffer is because we are born into sin. And what's more, not only are we born into sin, we're born into a sin-cursed body, into a sin-cursed world, into a sin-cursed environment. So we are going to encounter trouble. We're going to encounter suffering. Now, so many Christians treat suffering as something that might happen. They treat suffering as something that could happen. They treat suffering as something that we go to God to try to avoid. But the reality is that if you're drawing air, you're going to have suffering in your life. You're having it right now. Some of us have a friend called Arthur who comes to visit when the wet weather comes around. And I want you to know, me and Arthur have an acquaintance. Some of you have better acquaintance than I do. But I want to tell you that there's some suffering. But I want you to understand that that's not because of all of the contributing factors that that the physician wants you to think about. It's because we live in a sin-cursed body. That's why we have it. That's why we have a lot of the things that we have. That's why that we're constantly being affected by the problems of this world, and it is why we suffer. So as Paul addresses suffering, he addresses suffering as a fact, as a reality. I don't want you to see suffering in the context of of just being religious martyrdom, because in reality, very few of us will ever know that. Some of you younger people may encounter it, but in this day and age at least, We aren't dealing with much of that in this country. But you know what? We do encounter suffering. Every day when we get up and we determine to walk in the truth, we encounter suffering. Every day when we get up and we determine to know him as our life, we still encounter suffering. Good or bad, we always have suffering in this life. Paul had a heavenly perspective in regards to suffering. For him, suffering was a part of living, but suffering never took life from him. 
He says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, For me to live is Christ, his life in me. And to die is gain, the gain of the glory of eternity. And if you look at that verse, he's got it made on both ends, right? He says, if I live, in fact, in one verse, he says, I'm torn betwixt the two. Whether to stay here or to go there. And you see, what Paul is deliberating is that he knows that in this life, for him to continue is to continue in the revelation of Christ. Because the path, as I mentioned before, the path that we're on is the path of expansion. It's the path of revelation that he has designed for each of us. We're here to know him by faith. That's the key part. By faith. When we get to heaven, we'll know him, what? By sight. But here we are here to know him by faith. And if that is what God has placed us here for, to know him by faith. You see, he doesn't need us for anything, right? Some people believe that we're here to lead others to Christ, but you know, God doesn't really need us for that. We participate in it, and it is a calling, and it is obedience to do so. But what we're here for, principally, is to know him by faith. One of the ways we know him by faith is, is by leading in evangelism. We see the work of God in that because it's not the work of man. It's the work of God. Now, the reality of us knowing him by faith is what, is what Paul is living to. And he says, if I continue in this life, I will know him more. I will expand more. In Philippians 3.10, he talks about becoming increasingly aware of Christ and wanting to know him more intimately. Or to die is to gain the glory of eternity. I come into his presence and I have all of him there. You see, to a believer in that day and age, and remember he's talking to fairly young believers, he said, or young in their faith anyway, to, to believe in that day and age guaranteed suffering. It guaranteed persecution. It guaranteed loss. It guaranteed separation. And you know what it guaranteed you would lose? Your comfort and your security. Now, you know what I've learned in all of my years in the church? The one thing that people protect with their theology, with their faith, with their belief system, with everything within them is their comfort and their security. It is the weather vane on how well they're doing with God. If they have their comfort and they have their financial security, they're aces with God, right? But you let everything go south, and then they're wondering why God has cursed them. Well, what kind, of, what kind of, of perspective would Paul have if he thought that? Would he have continued in the ministry? Would he? Not at all. Because he wasn't hitting it right. In that day and time, a Christian, someone who called himself a believer was guaranteed to suffer on many levels. And what Paul wanted those believers to understand was that suffering for the Christian does not take life. 
but it's designed to reveal the life within us. Again, recognizing that we will suffer. But God, in accordance to Romans 8.28, has taken the issue of suffering and literally turned it on its heels because through suffering, he is revealed. And that is the way it's designed. Last week we left off with Romans 8.17. I want to pick up there today. So let's look at that, Romans 8.17. And it says, And if we are his children, then we are his heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. Only we must share his suffering if we are to share his glory. Now, in this verse, having trouble with the vine here. In this verse, there are two absolute statements. Number one, that if we are his children, then we are his heirs. We're going to enter into his inheritance, the inheritance of God as his heir and fellow heirs with Christ. If you are his child, that is an absolute truth. Okay? Secondly, that if you are his child, you will share in his suffering and you will share in his glory. You see, it's even, it's even part of the, uh, uh, the agenda It's on the order of worship when we get to heaven that we're going to literally stand before the Bema seat and he is going to pull the crowns. He is going to to take the things that, that are done by the power of the Holy Spirit, the things that Christ actually worked through our life, through the union we have with his life, and he is going to attribute them. He's going to refine that big mass of work and he's going to attribute the work unto Christ, that is Christ, That's where we share into his glory. And he's going to burn up the rest of it. We're not even going to talk about the dross. And you know what? Let me tell you something. You're going to be surprised. You're going to be surprised how much God attributes to his work. Because out of pride, we don't attribute too much to his work. And God reckons he's doing it most all of it. Because he says, apart from him, you can do what? Nothing. So you think there might be a few crowns? I think so. And you know what? We're just, we're going to be there in the middle of it. We're going to say, you know what? He did it all. It's all his. And the rest of that stuff needs to be taken out. And God's going to say, amen. And we will share in his glory in that day. Now, These two, in these two absolute statements, Paul's not saying that as a child of God, you might miss out on your inheritance, nor is he saying that you can avoid suffering. Suffering is a part of living, both for the lost and the saved, as I mentioned before. But for the child of God, it's a revelation of the abundant life that we have within. We cannot avoid suffering, but we can live in the victory of the completed work of Christ. Now, Jesus speaks to suffering, and when he's speaking to his disciples, if you look in John chapter 16, verse 33, this is where Jesus is fixing to depart, and he speaks to his disciples, and he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration." 
but be of good cheer. Take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. That's in John 16, verse 33. And Jesus starts by saying, I have told you these things. Now look at that. If you look at that verse, if you're looking at John 16, I want you to underline, so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. So where is the peace and confidence in the day of suffering? Where do you find it? In him. Let's look at verse 18. Romans 8.18 says, But what of that? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this present life, are not worth being compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us, and in us, and for us, and conferred on us. It's not worthy of comparison. Paul says, If we... As God's children, sharing his sufferings, so what? That's basically what he's saying. So what? It's not even worth comparing. It's not even worth mentioning in conjunction with. It's not even worth naming alongside of. It's not worthy of comparison to, the, to God's glory. Now, Paul is saying, I have thought about this. And that word consider there in the Greek literally describes a careful study or a literal numerical calculation. So, so he has really intensely thought about this. And who more qualified? It makes perfect sense that Paul would have thought of this at some point. He must have at times wondered, is this really worth it? Is all of this suffering worth it? Now, he might have thought that if he believed that by avoiding the truth, he would not suffer. That's the only reason he would say that. But you don't see Paul saying that. Because Paul knows that the suffering of avoiding the truth is far greater than the suffering, the temporal suffering that we endure by proclaiming it. Paul, as I mentioned before, suffered quite a bit. In fact, he suffered almost more than any other saint we know about written in the Word of God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 30, he kind of gives you a rundown of his suffering. He says, Five times I received from the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, all but one. That last one would have killed him. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That means literally having rocks thrown at you for you kids. Huh? Three times I have been aboard a ship, a shipwrecked at sea. A whole night and a day I have spent adrift on the deep. I would quit taking ships. How about you? Three times. 
Many times on journeys, it's supposed to perils from rivers, perils from bandits, perils from my own nation, perils from the Gentiles, perils in the city, perils in the desert places, perils in the sea, perils from those posing as believers, but destitute of Christian knowledge and piety. In toil and hardship, watching often through sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, frequently driven to fasting by want, in cold and exposure and lack of clothing. And besides those things that are, uh, that are without, meaning the external things that I had to deal with, there is the daily inescapable pressure of my care and anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel his weakness? Who is made to stumble and fall and have not and have his faith hurt and I am not on fire with sorrow and indignation? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my infirmity of the things by which I am made weak and contemptible in the eyes of my opponents. Now, do you think you might have asked yourself in all the suffering, is this worth it? Or am I on the right path? Did I miss God somewhere? I mean, I know another guy that's out there spreading his version of the gospel. He doesn't seem to be encountering all these things. The Judaizers don't seem to be suffering the way I am. Is it worth it? Do you think he would have asked those questions? I would have, most likely. But you know what? The question is answered. It's answered in the suffering. It's not answered in the peace. It's not answered in in the rest. It's not answered in in the day where I have no confrontations. It's not answered in the, the, the times when I didn't have an enemy confronting me. It's not answered in the times that the ship actually floated. It's answered in the trouble. It's answered in the peril. It's answered in the adversity. Because it's in that weakness that his strength was revealed. And you know what? What a God. <laughs> what an incredible God we have. Who didn't say, hang on to me if you can. Embrace me if you can hold on. Find strength in me if you can keep up. What we have is a God that literally embraced us in our weakness. And he says, if you are too weak to lift your hand, if you're too weak to call out, if you are too hoarse to have a voice, if you are dried up from tears of suffering, then you can reach to me, you can look at me, you can even long for me, and I am there. I am strength. I am strength. I won't give you strength. God doesn't say that. He says, I am your strength. You don't get a portion of God's strength given to you. 
You get God himself, literally the strength of the Almighty God who is in union with your life, literally reaching through the circumstances of your trial and bringing about the miracles of Romans 8.28 and says, there will be glory to my son, there will be glory to myself, there will be honor unto me for the suffering and for the time that you're going through right now because you have trusted me, because you are my child, because you are the sheep of my pasture. You will not be consumed. Ever. I'm not concerned with your weakness. Because it allows me to give you my strength. You see, that's why Paul had a different point of view about suffering. A little bit radical in his thinking. You see, Paul, when he looked at all these things and said there would be glory, there would be glory to be revealed, that was about to be revealed was his words. And he says this, but when he, said, when he wrote that, he wasn't in heaven, was he? How could he know? How could he know about the glory? How could he know that that glory was so much greater than the suffering that he was enduring? How could he know, if he's speaking of only the glory that we would one day see in heaven, how could he give some testimony about that? Because he had received a foretaste, a sampling, if you will, of the glory to come by and through the Spirit of God and everything that he endured. And not just what he endured, in life, in the moment by moment, in the daily living. You see, we are so anxious to to confer upon ourselves some level of comfort and security that we may be able to say to ourselves, we have life upon the earth. And Christ said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. So that he has literally placed within every circumstance of your life, in every step that you make and take in life, in every decision that you've made, he has placed in those things the revelation of your security, of your safety, of your Union of your life with him. And he says, that's life. Look for that. Look for that. Look unto me. Focus on me. So, well, you just don't know what I'm going through. It's not about what your body's enduring. It's about what your spirit is literally experiencing in the presence of God. He is the strength and the source of every, every comfort of all that we endure on this earth. But not just the endurance, the day-to-day living, the moment-by-moment living. That's the abundant life. Paul had a foretaste. I read to you earlier the words of Jesus to his disciples prior to his departure. And he said, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace and confidence. He had told them of what they would have in him that would be their source of peace and confidence. So in speaking of receiving the Spirit of God in John 16, 13, and 14, 
speaking of the Spirit of God that would one day inhabit them and be in union with their life, he says, but when he, the Spirit of truth, the truth-giving Spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth, with a capital T, the whole full truth. For he will not speak his own message on his own authority, but he will tell whatever he hears from the Father. He will give the message that has been given to him, and he will announce and declare to you the things that are to come that will happen in the future. Verse 14, he says, And he, the Spirit of God, will honor and glorify me, because he will take of, receive, draw upon, What is mine and will reveal, declare, disclose, transmit it to you. Now, why did I read that? Because what he is explaining to them is what's going to be the process of life. They need not fear suffering. They're not going to understand it on this side. They may not have a, a mental conception of what suffering is all about, but what Paul is, or what Jesus is telling the, the disciples is what life is going to be about. Through the same Spirit of God within them, they would be guided in truth. And I love that word, guided in truth. In the same way that Jesus was guided, they would be guided. You remember in John, further on, he says, or further up, he says, I did nothing of myself. Everything that I did, the Father did. I didn't make a move without the Father. I didn't say anything except what the Father told me to say that I heard from him first. In essence, what Jesus says is I did nothing. The Father did it all. I just walked in yieldedness unto the Father. I walked in obedience to the Father. Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation. Rest in His life moment by moment and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m., at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If you would like to help support this ministry, send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. And finally, this coming week, our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.